0: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by T-shirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
1: I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Listen to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by T-shirt.com, Got Greg Barnes and Ross Martin coming off fresh of press conference day in Chapel Hill. Matt Brown, Phil Longo, Jay Bateman all met with the media earlier today, Ross, you were there front and center. I sort of felt like listening to it, the theme was, yeah, great to beat South Carolina, great to get that first win, but plenty to work on ahead of the hurricane game.
2: Yeah, I mean what was really cool and and Mac said this on Saturday and then and reiterated it um today at the press conference was the fact that when you win like this, you can really coach them up and really get after them. So there's like we all saw plenty of errors, pretty much mistakes, a lot of things to kind of polish up, and they'll be able to get after them. They're going to forget about this game. Um, yeah, Um I think last night or today, you know, the, today the players have the, the day off, and then third Tuesday they're going to get after it. So um a lot of critiques, I think, on, on defense need to be made and certainly things on offense can be perfected to get ready for a big game. And, and looking at Miami, you know, there's a lot of things to point out and get into that later in the week. But it's a very tough challenge, prime time for the Tar Heels, but there are a lot of positive things too. I mean, I I think while there are a lot of mistakes and things to talk about there, the defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator really highlighted some, some key players that were stepped up and made big plays and big moments for UNC and some guys we haven't heard of that, that really stepped in and, and made some plays.
1: Greg, that, you know, the thing, the overarching theme after you sit back and look at South Carolina thinking ahead is like Ross just mentioned, you got a lot of guys that he had no idea how they were going to play until the lights came on. Nobody knew anything, and you know Bateman said, "Yeah, you know we we've seen it all fall camp or whatever." But really, stormed up, getting out there and playing as well as he did. Greg Ross, who we've not all the time, is playing as well as he did. I mean, the the leadership stepped up and played. But I thought it was a key to the ball game that the the guys without the big names played really well for Carolina, and that was really highlighted today in these press conferences.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I, think, I think when you get caught up in the moment of the game, uh, you start thinking, wow, they, they must have really played great kind of down the stretch. And what, what you, when you go back and you actually watch the game again, uh, you realize that's not really the case necessarily. Uh, North Carolina made some really big plays, like you said, and that's why they won the game. Uh, but there were a lot of issues, and so when you talk about a guy like Chad Surrett, uh, I mean, just a tremendous game given his circumstances. And I think the fact that you know, he did have some mistakes early, but he kind of corrected them. He was critical for North Carolina winning that game. You mentioned Greg Ross. I mean, this is a kid who really struggled at times last year, and when you know Trey Morrison goes out, you know, first series of the game. And you've already got Patrice Rene suspended for the first half. Well, now all of a sudden, not only is Greg Ross got to play, he's the guy that's got to you know, make sure everything's okay with Storm Duck, who's a true freshman on the other side of quarterback. And Greg Ross uh, played a very solid game. And so, you know, we're not talking about you know all ACC caliber performances necessarily, but those guys came in and they they did what they were supposed to do, and, and they spelled the players they needed to spell. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great stories like that. The other thing I would say is one of the reasons that North Carolina was able to survive a lot of these mistakes is because the lines played so well. Both the offensive and the defensive line uh, were critically important for how North Carolina played. Because when you can control the line of scrimmage, you can get by with the mistake. You know, we we saw too many times in recent years where if North Carolina got dropped for a loss and you're behind the chains, well, good luck because you weren't always winning the line of scrimmage because North Carolina was able to do that consistently Saturday. You can make up for some of those mistakes. And I I think there at the end, uh, for a lot of reasons we've, we've talked about in recent days and that's why they're able to kind of pull it out there. So yeah, a lot of things that that take away that were positives, a lot, a lot of things to work on uh, to get better, but as Ross said, you know, when you're coming off a, a victory, you can coach them up a lot harder.
2: So, so, Greg, I want your take on the offensive line. You know, it, it seems like Phil Longo and Mac Brown are pretty impressed with what they did. I thought, obviously, in, in run run blocking, they opened up a lot of holes, and, and the rush game was was very effective for UNC. But pass blocking, I think at, at time, especially in the first half, Sam Howell's getting beat up, and they were defensive linemen in his face. Did you have a different perspective than what the coaches said in terms of the offensive line's performance from a pass-blocking perspective? Or what was your take?
0: Yeah, I kind of agreed with what Longo said for the most part. I mean, yeah, they did get beat on occasion because, you know, Ken Law and some of those guys are solid up front for South Carolina. I mean, those are good, talented players. He's projected as a first-rounder for a reason. Um, But there were a number of times when, you know, Sam appeared to get happy feet. Um, didn't really hold the the huddle as as or the the pocket as long as he probably should have, and he he took some shots, but some of those shots weren't necessarily in the pockets where he was trying to move out of the pocket and, and got into some trouble. Uh, so you, certainly they weren't perfect by any stretch. But I I thought given that they're starting three three guys for the first time, Nick Polino's playing out of position, and really Charlie Hex, the only known quantity you have there. I thought they were. Very, very effective in, in pass block. Um, and the same goes with run block. You know, people look at the yardage and say, wow, you know, they were great blocking the run. I thought they were good. But I think, you know, the, the what, the second play of the game, you have Michael Carter. I mean, he gets hit in the backfield. And if he goes down there, North Carolina's you probably got a three and out, and South Carolina's going to have the ball in good shape. But he's able to kick it outside and picks up, you know, 30-some yards. And that looks good for the offensive lineman, you know, in terms of stats. Uh, but that, that was not necessarily a play they blocked up very well.
2: Yeah, and real quickly to kind of go back to defensive backs, we got an update on some injuries this morning, uh, Monday morning. Uh, Trey Morrison is questionable for the game with an upper body uh, injury. And Trey Shaw is questionable for the Miami game with a lower body injury. Of course, Morrison went out, we believe, in the second um, – offensive possession for UNC quickly. And that brought in Storm Duck for her first snaps thrown to the fire, moved Greg Ross over to South Carolina's primary receiver. So, I mean, yeah, it was, you know, without Patrice Renee in that first half with Gregory Ross and Storm Duck in both kind of in very critical positions, they held up really well against some really good wide receivers. I think it helped that South Carolina's quarterback, Jake Bentley did not have a good game and then missed on a lot of open throws and a lot of deep balls. But kudos to to Gregory Ross and Storm Buck Duck, who already mentioned um really stepping it up.
1: Yeah, hey, I mentioned yesterday on the podcast with Jason Buck and I I think uh Sam Howe was seven for his last eight. Bentley was one for his last eight in the fourth quarter. So pretty incredible stat there for a true freshman quarterback playing his first game and a senior quarterback that'd been playing forever. Greg, let me ask you a little bit about the Trey Morrison injury, and and the Trey Shaw injury, he got banged up uh, on a couple uh, special teams plays in a row there in the fourth quarter, so not sure. He looked decently healthy after the game, but they've got to be careful there with any kind of injuries. But Greg, one thing Bateman said in his press conference, and I thought it was very interesting, is he said something to the effect of Trey Morrison shouldn't have gotten hurt on that play if he tackled the way we'd been teaching it. And I thought that was an interesting discussion on how he coaches tackling. We've talked about it a lot since he's been at Carolina, but he says you got to get your head out of it. Morrison didn't on that play. But your take on Bateman's approach there, I mean, it you can stay healthy but for so long, but Carolina's done a good job of, of staying out of that concussion-type mess, at least in the preseason and in the first game other than Morrison.
0: Yeah, we've talked so much in recent years about targeting and guys taking shots, you know, from a defender's helmet and how that's so dangerous. And it is, but it's dangerous for both players. I mean, if you're leading with your helmet time and time again, uh, that puts you in some, some difficult spots. And so I think that's just kind of a critical thing. And one of the, the issues is that, that Trey Morrison really kind of dove um, I think I believe it was a running back coming around on the on the right side where he got hurt. Uh, and by diving, you know there was contact with the the knee to his helmet, which is why he got woozy. You know there was ESPN reported he had a had a concussion, which is why he didn't play the rest of the game. And so yeah, I mean it's just, it's just a a little bit different style. Um, and we've talked a lot about the u- unique changes with with tackling. You know, Vic Coning did a lot of the same stuff that um, you know Seattle uses, Seattle Seahawks that they use in terms of their their tackling measures. Um, and now we've got a new one with this rugby style, where you are you're tackling more with your body, kind of getting your your head out of it, um, kind of you know, chest to chest if you can, and it, it allows you to kind of see the guy from a better perspective, which puts you in a better position. It helps you take you better angles. So a lot of different things, but it all goes back to to player safety.
1: Ross, you mentioned earlier the positiveness, positivity that word. Uh that is one thing watching these press conferences. Uh Mac talked about getting on them uh, in their team meetings or their position meetings, but just overall, whether it was on the sidelines, I don't know if you guys saw it, um, but you could see it pretty obviously from you know, being at the game and being behind the bench that uh Dre Bly was upset there late. Mac Brown said no 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 no. You know, he obviously talked to him. He said later it was to pick his head up to see the players take the the persona of the coaches staples, staples talks about it all the time, but I mean, you could see it on Saturday. You could hear it today in these press conferences. It's just a different feeling that these players have for these coaches.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think Mac tries to set the tone there with positivity and, and all through training camp, it's been very positive and they're not going to get super down on players, especially with the media. And then in game, like you said, making sure the assistant coaches are, are putting forth the the attitude they want their players to carry and not let that carry through. Uh Brant Wilkerson knew asked a lot of questions about that and how Matt kind of helped set the tone with positivity there. And uh yeah, I think it shows. I think you saw it in the first game and a big reason why they won is just kind of putting all the, the past um losses behind them and moving on to a to a new regime. Um I think it'll have an impact kind of moving forward as well. I mean, I kind of a little bit changing here. And I'm sure I'll talk about this yesterday, but I mean, how big was this win? Uh, first game back, Greg's written about it. Just it's it's giant to think about how this kind of changed the whole tone of the season. You know, you're kind of looking at your your wins and losses and, and seeing, man, they may have a chance now against Miami. And you look ahead to Wake Forest, Nav State, and just that first win and, and really – Seeing it all come together was huge and seeing what Sam Howell did was big and seeing how good this defense can be. I mean, they really held South Carolina to to not many points in the second half and really reduced their yards as well. So I was impressed with with all all that and the win. And I'm kind of rambling now, but that South Carolina win was so big.
1: Indeed, it was huge for the entire program. Let me take a short break, talk about Johnny T-Shirt right fast, because they are our sponsors of this podcast, and they do uh, do wonders for Carolina fans, inside Carolina fans across the board, whether it's on Franklin Street or online, johnnytshirt.com. Go to Franklin Street on Saturday. When you're in town for the Carolina-Miami game, make sure you're in the bowls lot, say around 5 o'clock or so. Um, have some fun with us down there. Buck and I will be there. You might see some other people you recognize down in the bowls lot. But before that, get the Johnny T-shirt, get some swag, get your Carolina gear, whatever you need. Carolina football, Carolina basketball, Carolina baseball, anything Carolina, Johnny T-shirt shirt.com, Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Inside Carolina subscribers, of course, 10% off that order. Greg, I want to come to you, and, and we can talk about this, but did you get a sense, and, and Ross, I want your – follow up after Greg did you get a sense today listening to these coaches that they had any surprise that they beat South Carolina on Saturday and did you sense any difference in their approach maybe going into Miami than they had going into South Carolina
0: no not really and i think that's a testament to mac because like you guys were talking about prior um, mac is is dead set on you know, the coaches have to show these players that we're the same people day in and day out, whether things are good, whether things are bad, we're the same. And so if the coaching staff is able to come in and say, Hey, we won this game. We are we're, we're all happy. Now we're going to get this done. The players are like, so you, you don't expect us to win that game. You can't do that. Your fans do that all the time. Fans are up after a win. And then, you know, if North Carolina loses Saturday, they'll be down. And that's what fans do. But the coaches can't do that. The coaches have to be even kill, uh, and and you know Mac is is a positive guy, so he's going to be positive throughout. If anything, uh, you know, the fact that North Carolina won this game, he's able to be a little bit tougher on them, just because they do know in the back of their mind that they won that game. I think that I think that says a lot. But I, you know, beyond the coaching staff, though, I found it fascinating, and I, I wrote about this in my post game column. Um, but Miles Dorn was really, really big on the idea that this was a critical game because the players, you, they were trying to convince themselves that this program had changed, that they had the confidence to win this type of game, even though they lost it you know, so many times in the past. And for them to finish the way that they did and make the necessary plays to win that game, despite not playing their best, um, I think that was really a, a you know, boost of confidence. And we've we've talked a lot about that, about you know the shared experience. It's, it's easy to say, yeah, well we're going to be different, but to actually go out there and do it is a little bit of a challenge. And they did that, and so I think just just that aspect of it um, is going to change how this team approaches practice. But by no stretch do I think it changes how that the coaches approach everything
1: you got to have that even keel. It's tough. Uh, it's tough when you're coaching to keep the even keel, but Mike Brown certainly has it um, down to a science, and his staff's really followed him that. that's That's been pretty impressive to me to see how he can get his entire staff on the same page so quickly. It's, it's been a few months, but still, that's short in the life of a coach. Uh, Ross, one thing we didn't talk about when we were talking about the injuries, and I think it could play a huge role against – Miami is Cameron Kelly being available and Longo excuse me Jay Bateman talked about in the press conference today he should be a full go it's tough to be on a scout team get word you're going to play on Thursday and then actually play on Saturday but now with a full week to get prepared for Miami Kelly's going to play a significant factor, I think against the Hurricanes especially given the Morrison and maybe the Trey Shaw issues.
2: Yeah, and I was surprised to hear Max say that he was playing safety. I guess I just assumed that he was going to be a cornerback, especially given that's what his recruiting was, and then that's kind of what they needed him as. But Max, he's going to play safety. I asked Bateman to kind of clarify that, and Bateman says he's going to play all three positions, nickel, corner, and safety. So they must think pretty highly of him. They say he's very smart. Cameron Kelly will be a full go on Saturday. How much they use him, we'll see. Maybe as a backup safety, uh, maybe in place of a storm duck or kind of in relief and, and backing up those um, those cornerbacks and maybe some nickels as well, but they're going to use him big body guy. Obviously we haven't seen him play yet, but a highly recruited transfer from Auburn and he played some on special teams over the weekend against South Carolina. So he should also
1: uh, have a role there. Since we're on defense, Greg, I'm going to come back to you um, to talk about Carolina's run defense against South Carolina specifically. And I know it was a, a joint effort, but, uh, but Crawford and Strowbridge, we've hyped them. We've talked about them. Uh, they delivered. And and when they deliver, and that's something that a lot of people are talking about, Chas Surratt and maybe Jeremiah Gimmel a little bit, and Surratt certainly deserves everything. But when you've got those two guys in front of you, it makes being the middle linebacker or, or a linebacker a lot easier to do. Uh, Crawford, Strowbridge, and then Surratt. Carolina's just solid in the front seven when – going in, there were concerns um, that that might be a liability for Carolina.
0: Well, if you go back to our preview podcast last Friday, Tommy, the the guys that Jason and I listed out as the most important for this game were Aaron Crawford, Jason Strobridge, Damon Fox. And if you look at the the PFF uh, stats for this game, those three guys graded out among the highest on the team. And so, yeah, when, when you've got guys up front that you can count on, and the fact that North Carolina only had to defend 64 plays, you keep those guys fresh, um, and they, they controlled the line of scrimmage. And that, I think that's one of the things we talk about, you know, Greg Rawls looking better. Um, I mean, how many times last year did we say, yeah, you know, North Carolina's defensive line was the strength of that game? There, there wasn't many. And so if the defensive line's not very good, then all of a sudden your cornerbacks and your safeties have to be really good because they're pretty much on islands back there. But because the defensive line was as as effective as it was on, on Saturday, I mean, they didn't have to blitz a whole lot. They sent people from different positions. They got a lot of pressure with just four guys. I mean, I, I really believe that their ability to control the line of scrimmage made everybody behind them that much better that benefited Surratt, that benefited Storm Duck, that benefited Greg Ross. Uh, and I think that's going to be critical moving forward.
1: Ross Surratt, 12 tackles, a few hurries. He had a sack. But the biggest thing I heard today at the press conference is Mike Brown, I believe it was Mike said he's got potential to be a, a professional linebacker. Now that says a lot about Surratt it, himself, but for Mike Brown to think that highly of that guy, especially what he's all, all he's been through. I mean, what a great position change. And what a great job in Surratt accepting that so he can still get on the field for North Carolina and be successful.
2: Yeah, it was, it was spectacular. Just kind of thinking his mindset, being a quarterback for so long, and all of a sudden, man, that first drive, it was hectic. They were moving fast, and he was all over the place. And he kind of settled down and made some plays in the next couple drives. And he did miss one of the key tackles on tackle line, his touchdown. But, you know, making some plays on uh, pass defense, rushing the quarterback, the physicality he needed to play at in order to make the stops. I mean, Jay Bateman. So it was Mac who mentioned him being a potential NFL linebacker. Then Jay Bateman mentioned that he made a play with some technical football jargon where only a couple players in the NFL could kind of make that play on a certain time of route that the uh, offense ran. So he was very impressed with some of the athleticism he showed um, it was evident. I mean, you hear his name called a lot, I think 12 tackles, which is pretty pretty awesome there. So you got to feel good for him, and it, it's got to be a huge confidence builder because now they can kind of play a little more looser, uh, think a little less heading into these games. They're definitely going to need him. It'll be interesting to see how they use Dominique Ross now with Chaz Surratt, and Jeremiah Gamel. asked uh, Jay Bateman this, and it, it sounds like they'll use Ross a lot as a pass rusher kind of in that outside linebacker spot. So he'll, he'll rotate in alongside Taman Fox and Alan Cater, And Jake Lawler, but also play a little middle middle linebacker as well. So you'll have a kind of a three man rotation inside between Dominique Ross, uh, Surratt, and Gamel. And then Ross will also play on the outside. So, you know, that's a good sign that they held together against South Carolina and they're getting, they're probably their best linebacker back for the Miami game this weekend.
1: Should bode bode well against the Hurricanes. They're going to certainly be a lot more um, explosive than. South Carolina-wise, which I was surprised South Carolina didn't seem to be as explosive. Maybe Carolina was just better than I expected. But let me take a short break, and then we're going to flip to the other side of the ball because I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Carolina's uh, skill positions. We've talked about the O-line, but the skill positions really stepped up. We'll do it right after the break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?
1: saturday seeing is antonio williams he doesn't get hardly any touches and then in the fourth quarter he comes alive he finished with four or five carries for what 60 or so yards but the fact that carolina's got that stable of backs that can keep a guy like that fresh the entire game and be able to roll him out there i mean that's going to be a weapon javante williams great player michael carter um solid antonio williams to come in late. I mean, that's a weapon that Carolina, if they've had it over the last few years, they certainly haven't utilized it like uh, he was used on Saturday.
0: Yeah, definitely not. I I think the fact that what stands out to me more than anything is coming into that game, everybody knew that North Carolina had a true freshman quarterback. Everybody knew that this was a brand new offensive system. And everybody knew that that Mac Brown has been hyping the heck out of these running backs all year long. And so when you get to the game, what does South Carolina do? You know, they're stacking the box with seven, eight guys. And yet North Carolina was still able uh, to have some success running the ball. And, you know, a a key part of that is the fact that, uh, I mean, these guys were able to turn out so many yards after contact. I mean, I, I think they had 156 yards after contact. and as as Longo said, they don't recruit guys to North Carolina or really to any of the Power Five teams to get what the offensive line gives you. Meaning, you know, if the offensive line blocks you know, for a four-yard gain, they don't expect you to get four yards. They expect you to get five or six yards. You know, Anybody can get what the offensive line provides you. But time and time again, and like I mentioned earlier, I mean, the Michael Carter run early he probably should go down there for a loss on the, I guess it was the second play of the game. Instead, he, he cuts around the corner and has a big gain. Um, and those types of plays are, are just critical. And so what that did is that even though uh, South Carolina knew North Carolina was going to be running the ball, UNC was able to use those backs and take advantage of that offensive line uh, to create some space uh, to to break some tackles and really dominate the ga- game on the ground and then all of a sudden that makes things so much easier uh, for Sam Howe. And that that's going to be something, and Longo you know, acknowledged that today, that's going to be a theme moving forward. Because Howe's going to be a true freshman all year long. Even though he played well in the second half on Saturday, he's still very young. We know that he didn't perform very well under pressure uh, in terms of you know, when blitzes and stuff were coming, and that's to be expected. He'll get better as as he goes along this year. But having guys like the Williams kids and, and Michael Carter uh, to, to fight hard, to be smart, to be fast, that's, that's really going to determine how successful this offense can be. And like you said, you know, Antonio Williams didn't play much the first couple quarters. But yet when he comes in the game, I mean, he, looks, he looks like the Energizer Bunny because he's well-rested. And South Carolina's defense is like, are you kidding me? They've got another one of these guys? And I really think that's the benefit of this team. And Mac and Longo have talked about it all offseason. We've heard it. We've talked about it too. But actually seeing that come to fruition on Saturday was, was pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, it was. We've heard it. They've talked about it for a long time. And like you said, to actually see it on Saturday, it was, it was impressive. I was impressed at the game plan Carolina had and what they put out there. Uh, from a schematic point of view, from a a personnel point of view. And, Ross, on the Inside Carolina Tailgate Show, you and Don Callahan had a segment about Sam Howell, and Don talked about why he's going to be the starter or why he was going to be the starter and what he brought to the table. And I thought for the most part on Saturday, Ross, that everything you and Don talked about and have talked about, whether it's covering Howell's recruitment or covering his commitment, or talking about it last Saturday, I thought it really came to fruition for how against South Carolina. I mean, he wasn't perfect. We've talked about some of the shortcomings he had. Um, but he stepped up, and he played amazingly, threw some great passes. But let's let's not miss out on the catches that Daz Newsome and Diami Brown made. matt Brown called the touchdown one of the best he's ever seen, Ross. But just – you know, you couldn't ask for more from those set of from that set of guys in the first game of the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, you want me to talk about the receivers or, or Sam? Howe? I think all uh, of it, man, all of it,
1: it's <laughs> all together.
2: Yeah, so I think Sam. Um, you could see how composed he was. He wasn't rattled by, I mean, he took some hits. You know, the offense wasn't wasn't that great in the first half. They were very conservative with him, and that was Phil Long admitted to. Trying to protect him in the first half to get him into a little bit of rhythm to kind of get him accustomed to the speed of the game and, and the college level. What he's going to see on defense. um So that that was the reason why it was a little bit. We didn't see as much in the first half, but he took so many hits. He wasn't rattled. He stayed in. He was composed. And then in the third and fourth quarter, you know, he was throwing darts. Like you said, he hit Daz a couple of times on some some tough NFL throws. He hit Diami Brown with a ball, a deep pass that only Brown could catch. They tipped and, and caught for the touchdown. He had a great fade to Bo Corrales in the corner of the end zone for the second touchdown that put UNC up. Um, and he ran the ball. And I think he took so many hits and to be that tough and to stay in and then come back and, and go on a 98 yard drive for a touchdown, 95 yard, uh, touchdown It is just kind of a, a perfect story there for him and his hometown. So that's his first game. You got to think, yeah, I feel pretty good about what he can do moving forward. Um, and then obviously ahead for the next couple of years as well. But he showed kind of what we expected. Longo touched on his deep ball was perfect. He throws great deep balls, and we we saw that compared to to Jake Bentley, who all, who missed a bunch. So obviously a great performance by Sam Howe and something he can really build on. I think after that first game, the nerves are gone. You can just go out and play, and Phil Longo said they're going to take the, take the reins off and let him play and let him throw. So that's going to be exciting to see as well receivers, uh, they made plays throughout the game and made the plays they needed to. I mean, some times where UNC receivers have dropped the ball, you had Newsom making spectacular catches, uh, players just making plays when they needed to, and that was the key in the fourth quarter.
1: Greg, to wrap the show, I I mean, Buck had it in his column on Monday talking about recalibrating expectations. We talked about it in the podcast the day after the ball game. Uh, For you, you you mentioned when you Ross and Gregory Hall, which fantastic piece there on the field at at uh, Panther Stadium, that you were shocked about the outcome, and not necessarily the outcome, but how it happened. Uh, does this sort of recalibrate your expectations? I know we're just one game in, and they've got a big one coming up on Saturday, um, but does it change anything uh, thinking wise for you going forward?
0: I think it's too early to to say. I mean, one of the things we've we've talked about all all season is, you know, when you look at this schedule, you've got really two known quantities. I think we kind of agreed on is that North Carolina should beat Mercer, and Clemson should beat North Carolina. The other ten are all pretty much toss ups. Now there are going to be some like South Carolina and Miami where those teams are going to be favored a little bit more, and there's going to be some of the other games where North Carolina is favored a little bit more. But for the most part. I think a lot of us kind of saw it as a wash. Now I did pick South Carolina to beat North Carolina. So from that vantage point point you say, well, I predicted six and six for the year. So maybe that does tick up a notch and you say, okay, well maybe, maybe they can get to seven and five now. Um, but I really think it's going to take this weekend against Miami to really see what this team is. You know, How much better do they get from week one? Um, were they just playing with, with so much emotion and, trying to ward off the demons of the past, and that allowed them to take that step forward and close strong against South Carolina? Or is that just the team that this is, right? I mean, we don't know that quite yet. Um, but I, I think after Saturday's performance, even if they lose, I mean, if they play very well and that's a very competitive game, then we can start to say, okay, well, the, how is this shaping up with how other teams look? Because that's the part of it, too. We're not looking at North Carolina in a vacuum. We're seeing how these other teams perform who looks good? Who doesn't look good? Does somebody look better than we thought? Does somebody look worse than we thought? All those types of things. Uh, and so right now, you know, I'd be cautious to say much change, changes in terms of expectations. Uh, but I think if you ask me that question next week, uh, I may have a different answer for you.
1: Ross, how about you? Same question. Does it change expectations just after one game?
2: I think – you see uh, you see some of the games that UNC was maybe a toss-up in, like Virginia Tech, uh, Pittsburgh. You saw Virginia Tech lose, and you think UNC has a much better chance against those games. Um, yeah, I think it does change. I think the defense is going to be a lot better than we expected, even though we had some high expectations on a lot of the seniors. I think the offense is what changes a lot of the expectations. I think Sam Howell is going to be a player. I think the offensive line is going to be a, a little bit better. And the run game, I think, even though we thought the running backs were very good, I don't think it's a, it's a team – it's very much a team thing with the rushing attack. So I think combining the offensive line and the running backs, are going to have a very solid running game with those three players there. So I think it does. I think you, you enter the Miami game with a lot of positivity. Uh, they're a very good team there, so who knows about that result. But moving forward to some of these toss-up games, some of the games you weren't sure about, Wake Forest, App State, you've got to feel a lot better with UNC's chances they have a lot of players in place they have the right coordinators to make plays and they're gonna get better and better as the season rolls on
1: it is uh I, I think for me seeing the game last saturday the the way the lines perform may peak my or, or perk my ears up a little bit i picked them to win and uh somebody gave me a hard time for tooting that horn but it's not that just they won. It was how they dominated on the line of scrimmage. I think that may bode well if they can stay healthy. One thing before we go, and I do not want to miss out and you don't want to miss out, is we've got a a contest that Mr. Buck Sanders is so graciously able to provide for our listeners. As you enter this contest, you got a chance to sit with Buck and myself. And that's not the same as sitting with Ross and Greg in the press box but you get to sit with buck sanders and myself the year that miami and carolina first played in football the year carolina and miami first played in football i'll give you a hint the answer is 1946 enter the code on the message board thread that asked for the code and for your chance to win two tickets to see carolina and miami eight o'clock saturday in keenan stadium ross and greg i know you boys have been busy i appreciate you taking time to join me thanks tommy
0: Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com, where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.